dark are diving Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Where there's a will, there's a way Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Raw Recovery with Dion Miller. Today we have a special guest, Wendy. Um, we'll be talking to Wendy here in a second. This will be our Tuesday episode. I appreciate everybody being on and being a part of. Um, again, our guest today, I didn't get to know very well, so I'm going to be doing it while, while uh, we're all getting to know her. I did get a chance to talk with her a little bit and it's yeah I find it really neat because when it comes to recovery it becomes such a small world and Wendy has been Wendy has been doing this and and been a part of it and she's been around for 21 years she's legal age drink now um but um it's such a small world because she knows my mother and my stepdad um which is really cool my mom has 35 years of sobriety um but without any further ado, Wendy, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me, Dion, and thanks, Joe, for help setting it up. My name's Wendy. I am one of those people who says she's a grateful alcoholic addict. Fantastic. I'm addicted to everything and can be addicted <laughs> to everything. Okay. And for the grace of my higher power, I haven't used since... March 28th of 1999. Wow. How, uh, yeah, but, it, you know, you know, Dion, it's not about the length. You yeah. know, it's, it's about the quality of sobriety. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, the quality of my sobriety can change day to day. Sure. Um, sure. We can have, have long-term sobriety and have bad days. Absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. But that's what's so neat about having a good, solid foundation, though, huh? Yeah, and I was really lucky um, that when I did choose to get sober and work the program, and I had such great mentors in AA mm -hmm. up yeah. in Fort Collins that held my hand and told me what to do. And I was broken enough that I was willing to do it. Yeah. Uh, and... I, I did what they told me. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days, four yep. times a year. <laughs> I got a sponsor and I shared when I didn't want to share. And I, they made me tell my story when I was nine months and I didn't want to do it. And they said, yep. it's good practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, so I, I was really teachable, but I wasn't always teachable. You know, yeah. I had tried on my own to, figure out how to drink recreationally and right. like a, a normal person. And I failed miserably. Mm -hmm. um, but it took a while for me to figure out that I was failing miserable, miserably. I thought sure. it was everyone else's fault um, that I was an alcoholic, that it was my childhood, you know, in Detroit, which, you know, is a great town. I love Detroit. Okay. Uh, and I, I had parents that were kind of on the hippie side, this because this is in the 60s. Okay. And they, my dad was a musician, so we always had um, crazy people, musicians at our house. We'd have parties 
you know, with a couple hundred people ever uh -huh. drinking. And I thought every kid in school had that, you know, so drinking became part of my youth, you know, yeah. it was and normal. I yeah. I associated it with fun. Um, yeah. And this is how people had fun. And then Irish Catholic. So even oh, when no. you weren't, yeah, the double fuck. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we had alcohol around every function and not just the fun ones, the funerals, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. you know, the day to day things. So, you know, I fit right into my family naturally. And, yeah. you know, when I, had my first drunk at age 15 i knew in that instant that alcohol was for me we okay a couple girlfriends and i we stole plum wine from a neighbor's garage Oof. okay and it was a, oh the horrible thing is oh. it was like old so it was like vinegar but we and didn't warm. know better so we drank all of it okay. threw up threw up all over plum yeah. wine coming out of your nose it was beautiful oh. And here's the thing. I couldn't wait to do it again, Dion. Yeah. I mean. Oh, that sounds like amazing fun. It, yeah. What could be better? <laughs> and uh, I knew like when I could taste it and okay. feel the way, it, the way it made me feel. Okay. And my best analogy for how alcohol made me feel. And this is my kid of the 60s, 70s showing my age. But you remember that show Gilligan's Island? Oh, yeah. Certainly. So we always played Gilligan's Island on my street. And my cousin, <laughs> a tall blonde, always got to be Ginger. And I had to be Marianne. And that really freaking pissed me off. Because I wanted to be Ginger. I wanted people to like me. And I wanted boys to like me. Because I never felt good in my own skin. When I drank, I was Ginger. Vodka made me Ginger. It gave me the mm. confidence. And I lost fear. And I felt like I belonged. Okay. Uh, so that's how I can explain how drinking made me feel. I felt like yeah. ginger. Yeah. It, I well, felt like I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah. And if this helps, if this helps any, I had a crush on Marianne. I thought she was cuter than ginger. You know, so. I have heard that since I got sober. So I'm so happy. Please to be, be Marianne. Please. I'll be a please boring Marianne. But you know, I, alcohol, I, I drank it to get drunk. Yeah. I, I didn't drink because I like the taste. Clearly, when, you know, when you're barfing plum wine, you're not drinking because you like the taste. That's correct. And I drank to feel either something great or nothing at all. Yep. And I loved it. And it, you know, growing up in the 70s, it worked. And then in high school and college, it like, no, I didn't stick out because I hung out with other party animals, yep. as I would say. And I used to call it partying. I don't call the way I drink partying anymore. No, no. I was a freaking alcoholic. Mm -hmm. You know, drinking for three days straight, barfing your brains out, saying horrible things to the people you love is not partying. That's, no, no you're, you're an alcoholic. And mm -hmm. I had... There was no one I could talk to about it growing up because my family, we had that shame thing going on where you never talked about alcohol in the family or alcoholism. Okay. We or never problems. used the word alcoholic or okay. problems. My grandpa, who was my best friend, 
Um, I didn't figure out till, and this was, I was age 20 till like 10 years after he died that he was an alcoholic. I thought mm -hmm. grandpa had the flu every six weeks. Grandpa would have the flu. Yeah. We couldn't talk to him and he lost his car once cause you know, I don't know what story bullshit they told me, but I bought it Yeah. and couldn't drink out of his Coke bottle. Um, mm. and then finally my cousin told me like at some other function, like, what are you crazy, Wendy? Grandpa was an alcoholic. And yeah. he hit me like, oh my God. Yeah. All the pieces fit. But my to this day, my mother will still not acknowledge that her dad was an alcoholic. Okay. All right. Um, so, so there was no one I could really talk to. Um, but what I did do was move to Vail in the eighties, and that really was a fix for everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. have to say a lot. Alcohol and cocaine uh, were my Yeah, age. I mean, it's Vail. Oh, so, in um, the 80s. I mean, the yeah, cops had the best drugs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vail was just the party place in the 80s. Um, everybody was up there. Right? Yeah. And they were all buying everything up. That and Keystone and there was another place. But, yeah. So that's why you guys heard me get go the ooh because yeah. a lot of a lot of stuff happened. I think, and I think that's where. Uh, oh man, uh, John! Isn't that where John Denver crashed his car too into the ditch? Was uh, in Vail. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. in it. He he did it in Vale and in Aspen. He was kind of all over the place. Uh, um, and I was too. I mean, I uh, I thought I found my sweet spot in alcohol and drugs okay. and you know once i added cocaine the that ride was pretty short-lived uh-huh uh, you know i started owing money and so and i got in a, a relationship at that point with a really super healthy person unbelievably and so he did what all good codependents do we moved after <laughs> seven years there and we ended up getting married and okay Going back east to up um, New York, New York, and uh, yeah, outside of Connecticut, and that was really good. And I I could rein it in for a while, um, but never long enough. And when I drank, I drank alcoholically. I became completely powerless. Okay. And you know, I was talking to you earlier about about the call that you know powerless has been such a theme for me this month. Okay. Um. And not just in my personal life, but in, I feel like 2020 is the era of powerlessness. Yeah. It's, it's step one over and over every day mm -hmm. between the pandemic and the, you know, politics and the riots and mm -hmm. um, the increased amount of addiction and mental health issues. It's, I mean, yeah. I, I just feel powerless yep. and I'm really grateful to know now that I don't have to fix this. I'm not mm -hmm. in charge. That's right. Um, but I would say the epitome of my powerlessness came on November 6th of 1998. Okay. When after drinking probably 12 or 15 beers before 10 in the morning, um, I drove my daughter to a soccer party. Okay. Where, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that was my pre-gaming because mm -hmm. by now I'm pre-gaming, you know, yeah. it's all, and I drank alone at this point because I did not want anyone 
to know how much I drank. I wasn't having fun. I was drinking to escape my life and to cover up the shame from drinking, yeah. which is crazy. And now, so, and now it was your turn to tell people not to drink from your Coke bottle. Yes. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, my Diet Coke can, you know. Yep. Sound like grandpa. So, yeah, we stayed in the Coke family. We never veered to Pepsi. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> um, but that morning I had beer in my purse too at the McDonald's and I probably drank three more beers and hung out with the other soccer moms, which I never fit in with. Yeah. And uh, I drove six kids home that day. And I don't even remember that. I wow. do remember... When I got home, passing out, picking up another drink after that, and uh, going in the kitchen, and I tripped on the step, and okay. I fell flat on my face. I broke my jaw. I knocked out a tooth, and the sound of it sounded like the house had an earthquake, and my yeah. kids and husband ran downstairs to see what was wrong. I was spurting blood everywhere. Um, out of a vein in my neck okay. and I stood up and I had no idea how bad it was. I said, I'm okay. And they looked at me with horror. Yeah. horror. And my husband wrapped me in a blanket, threw me in the car. We went to the hospital Yeah. and we went to the ER and we rushed through and they called a code 99. And I thought to myself, oh, well, this shit. is cool. Well, I, I, this is it. I didn't think it yeah. was me. I thought, cool, there's a car wreck coming in. There's going to be some action in this boring place. Yeah, it you was were the me. action. Yeah, I was the action. And they couldn't get the blood in fast enough. Um, and I was still so drunk, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. That told my husband, um, do you know, do you guys go to church? And he said, well, not, not really, okay. but we're Catholic, you know, kind of the typical Catholic for me back then, yeah. C&E. Yeah. Uh, they called Father for Bob. And they, yeah, they called Father Bob and said, you want to come? Then they told my husband, you might want to get the kids. And I am laying there, you know, they're trying to poke me and put blood in me. And clearly I, I didn't die. And I still had no idea the magnitude of the situation. Yep. You yep. know, none. And... I remember seeing my husband's face and I had never seen him look like that. Okay. And I thought, well, this is, this is bad. This is probably not good. Yeah. This, this is bad. So um, they stitched me up. They were able to get enough blood in me. So I dodged the death bullet. Um, mm -hmm. And... I remember every being alone in that room uh, and my husband was out talking to doctors. I kind of grabbed the chart that was at the foot of my bed. And, and this is really fucked up. The doctor yeah. had written on my chart, totally inebriated and underlined yeah. it. And he came back in the room and I actually said to him, I am not totally inebriated. I am partially inebriated. <laughs> And I believed it. Like, I'm like, what yeah. the fuck is this? You of course just we believe it. The priest is standing out there ready to, to 
kiss your ass goodbye and you are like, I, you want to pick a fight with the doctor. Yep. So, um, that was sadly not my last drink. Uh, left me in the room to sleep it off. And about four hours later, I recall remembering there was liquor in my purse and my purse uh -huh. was in my room. And I drank four hours after getting last rites. It, it sounds about right. And I mean, we, we don't fear as alcoholics. I know myself, I didn't fear death. No, nope, living was I welcomed hard. it. Yeah, I welcomed it. So, you know, Ed, I had a heart attack at 42. I was drunk two hours after I got out of the hospital. You bet. Yeah, so it just, you know, shows me, like, we have no control in the grand illusion that we have mm -hmm. control, that we are choosing this, that we are choosing to drink. You know, I really believed, well, yeah, I'm choosing it um, because I have pain or because of this is a stressful situation. Yeah, you're in the fucking hospital. I'm calling yeah. it a stressful situation for drinking. And so my husband even covered up this story of she fell when she was vacuuming because okay. I didn't go to treatment. You know, they said you might want to do IOP. Well, yeah, I, I tried IOP. I got kicked out the second week for drinking in group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're not supposed to go to those drunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and at this point I was still thinking like I'm drinking cause my marriage is in trouble. No mm -hmm. shit. I wonder why. And I have depression and, you know, either my house wasn't nice enough. It was too nice. We had no money. We had too much money. Whatever it was, I really believed that all my problems were external yes, and had nothing to do with me, that I was a victim in this scenario mm. and that if everyone else would change and everything else could change, I would be fine and I wouldn't mm. drink. Well, you know? and... And growing up with what you're doing, you know, with things going on at this point in your life, it, it seems like it's the only normal one. I mean, you grew up in this kind of lifestyle. So, I yeah. mean, I could imagine your thinking would be, well, what's wrong with you people? Yes, I'm just doing what everyone else does. So, yeah. it took me, you know, three months before I got to residential treatment, a few, you know, passing out the mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving okay. situations where finally, you know, my husband was like, look, I thought I was part of the solution here. It's clear I'm not helping. I think I'm going to leave. Yeah. And he had said that a hundred thousand times and I never believed it. But that time I knew he believed he meant he it. He was going to do it. Yep. Yeah. And, and he said it as uh, I was barfing over the, bathroom floor where I have most of my spiritual experiences, by the way. <laughs> and uh, so I'm throwing up. Uh, I had a feeling come over me, Dion, and it was like goose bumpy. Okay. I, I had this thought like, oh my God, he's going to leave. I'm going to be all alone and I don't want to be drunk anymore. Yeah. And all of a sudden I got the tingly and I just felt like there was something in the room with me. Wow. Um, I don't know if you want to call it angels, God, um, all of it. But a voice in my head said, everything is going to be okay. And I believed it. Wow. And I completely surrendered to yeah. the process. Wow. And I 
did from that moment on, you know, residential treatment. Okay. Um, and they, up there, I learned all about the 12 steps and uh, what I had to do. Um, and so when I left, I knew I had to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, four mm -hmm. times a year. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm uh, stealing it. Yeah, please. <laughs> and uh, find a sponsor in a home group. And, you know, I was really lucky in Fort Collins that we have great 12-step community. Sounds and like it. We have meetings all the time. Uh, and, you know, apparently my first year was a little rough, you know, because whenever I pick up a chip now, pre-COVID, uh, they, yeah. <laughs> everyone laughs at me and says, oh, I remember your first year you cried the whole time. See, I don't remember it that way, but apparently mm -hmm. it's true um, because <laughs> I needed how to learn to live. And what yeah. I love about the 12 steps is it's not just about, it isn't about the drinking so much. It's about the way we live and the way yeah. we see ourselves and how we show up in the world. And um, 12 steps helped me see my part in the whole entire situation, which mm -hmm. had never occurred to me. And they became my family of choice. Wow. You know, um, and I distanced myself from my family of origin. Okay. Um, in a healthy way, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I learned how to be a grown-up. Yeah. And I still struggle. You sure. know, like... This is the year of powerlessness. You know, I have um, a mom who's a raging alcoholic. She smokes with one lung and she has Alzheimer's. Whoa. Yeah. Nice. So can I help her? No. Um, mm -hmm. The family's made that difficult. And I've had to realize, like, I am powerless over that. My family, how they choose to treat it, how they choose to ignore it, how whatever. Okay. I'm powerless. All I can do is love her. From yes. afar. Yep. And um, <laughs> tough love. And some days it's harder. It some is. Some days it's harder, you know? And yeah. So I know for me this year, it's a step one year. You know, I'm powerless and my life can become unmanageable. And yes. I proved that in the drinking. And, you know, now I work in the field and I get very attached to clients. And okay. On a daily basis, I have to say, I, I'm i not here to save them. I'm here That's right. to mm -hmm. show them some tools uh, yep. that they can pick up or not. Yeah. And my sobriety still has to come first. I still have to go to meetings, even though they're not like I would like in person. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a great, fabulous sponsor I've had the entire time. And, you know, I still meet with her. We walk. I still work steps and like I life would not, this life I have now would not be possible without all of that. Correct. And service work is a big piece of it. Um, my spirituality and my path has changed from kind of just a generalized God. And I study a lot of native American rituals. Okay. I, I volunteer on Pine Ridge. I work with the Chippewa as well and the tribe wow. up in British Columbia. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of been where I fill my cup. Good for you. That's what, and you know, my, I'm not sure where my mom goes. She goes somewhere in South Dakota, I think. Probably Pine Ridge. Yeah. 
that's probably where you know my mom from. Um, you know, and that's what's so cool is, you know, we get to pick our own, you know, we get to pick our own higher power and, you know, and we can fill our cup in so many different places that, you know, it's mm-hmm. just unreal anymore. It's just a matter of, you know, are we willing and open-minded enough to do that? Absolutely. And now that's the fun part, you know, yeah. like I, I get to study Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever I want to do, I can do now because I'm sober. Yeah. You know, and now that spiritual connection is like a drug of choice. Like mm-hmm. every night before I go to bed, I make sure I kind of get right with the universe and read something that's spiritual and say thank you for the thousands of gifts I have on a daily basis. And I have to mm-hmm. remind myself to do that, which is crazy. <laughs> but I do. You know? uh, yeah, well, I still tell my brain cells, you know, my new brain cells every now and again, hey, we don't party here, guys. That's We don't do that here. They get disappointed, but, you know, they find out that life is pretty fun without it. Um, it's amazing. So I wanted to go back a little bit. Because sure. we were ta- you were talking, you know, you get attached to to your clients, and you know, um, and I, I really appreciate you you saying, you know, you you want to save them because we do, we want mm-hmm. to save them, but we know that if we if we actually hand them their 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 toolkit, that they're probably not going to make it, and that's the hard part is we have to you know sit there and wait for them to do it and um, you know pick it up, but when they do. It's just so spectacular to watch. It's the best, you know, it really is. And whether, you know, you work in the field or you just see it in the rooms. Yeah. um, It's, you know, like, you're like me. Like, we almost cry. Yeah. You know? Um, And it's one of those things like, oh, my God, I never thought they'd get it. Yeah. You know, and and some people don't make it. I had a brother who died at age 40. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, from it while my family waited for him to get it and he didn't you know and that's a sad truth we don't know who's going to make it and who's not yeah yeah and there's really no way to determine that I mean I mean mean, I'll admit that there's been times when I thought somebody was going to make it and they didn't and there's been times when I thought somebody wasn't going to make it and they did so who am I to who am I to make that kind of a judgment so all i can really do is share my experience strength and hope and hope that it clicks with them um that's beyond that there's not much more i can do um until they you know do the inevitable help me right yeah then then we can get on the road absolutely that's when the magic happens um for sure you know and it's and i always tell whether it's clients or people in the rooms like if recovery isn't the greatest thing you've ever done, you can go back. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it because we're right. self-centered and self-seeking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's absolutely true. If this wasn't fun, there's no way, there's no way I'd make it. Um, absolutely. But, you know, every, this is the way I kind of saw it. And I'm actually doing this with my smoking right now because I'm getting ready to quit was there's plenty of other people out there that aren't drinking that seem to be having plenty of fun. Yeah. And, and I'm tired, you know, and I, you know, as a kid, I was, uh, you know, I was always the, the, I don't, you know, I always wanted to be a part of everything if something was happening. Right. Oh, that hasn't oh, changed much. Twins. Yeah. 
and I wanted to be part of that fun. Um, and now I get to be, and that's really cool. Isn't it amazing? Like that sobriety gave me everything I was looking for in my drinking. I was looking mm -hmm. for validation to belong, to have fun, to have a group of friends to feel mm -hmm. supported and loved. And I drank to find that and never got it. And when I stopped, all those things came in. I would have to say probably the biggest difference for me is there wouldn't have been anybody to carry my casket when I was drinking. Now there's, no, now there's plenty of people that would, that would be happy to, to carry it. Um, but that's what, that that's what alcoholism does though. That's what addiction does. It, we drive away the people that mean the most to us. Yeah, it becomes um, our primary relationship, and we, yeah. there's no room for anyone else. Because I mean, even as human beings, um, let's say I get angry, I'm probably going to take it out on the person I love the most because I know they're not going to leave me. I know, but when an alcohol, but when an alcoholic gets a hold of that, we drive them away, literally. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, so, you know, so today my life is pretty f damn amazing. Um, and I have challenges and I've gone through in sobriety, like my brother's suicide and assault, mm -hmm. severe car wreck, bankruptcy, foreclosure, some really fun things. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I never had to drink and I never you know, had to get arrested or go back to the hospital and get last rites. Mm -hmm. And I got through it and actually got a skill set the hard way as we yeah. always get yeah. things. But, um, you know, that's itself a freaking miracle. It is. You know, when you we, know? Can, we, can, we start doing things that used to baffle us, I think is the part we're talking about right now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, when we first get when we first get sober, we can barely wipe our own ass. So no for shit. us to think that we can go out and actually have you know successful relationships, everything else, you know, we got to give ourselves that chance. We got to give it time. Um, it's not going to happen overnight, and it will be the hardest thing you ever do. It was for me, and I've done a lot of hard stuff. But the best, yeah, but the best, the most yeah. worthwhile. And the, um, and the more I put into it, the more I get out. Oh, so I get paid tenfold for everything that I do, and I don't even have to worry about it because I just get it. In fact, if I don't get it, I probably won't notice because God has something else planned. And um, it's always better. Yeah, you know, I you know I can plan the plan, but I can't plan the outcome. That's um, I love that. Oh. It's just like this podcast, you know, in the very beginning we talked, I'm like, I don't care about barking dogs. We don't care. You know, it, it's just life, you know, um, and people need to realize that life is still going on. We're going to have ups and downs. Okay. But the key yep. is, the key is not necessarily even not to drink, but, but then get to the point where you're not going to have to apologize or make amends to somebody. Um, is another step in all of that um, as we get better. I know. And it's, it's so, you know, I keep saying amazing. So I'll try and fabulous to wake <laughs> fabulous. up. To wake up and remember everything you did the day before. Yep. 
And somebody, I didn't drunk dial. I didn't. <laughs> there was a, somebody, and I don't remember who I stole it from, but I did steal this one. I never woke up sober wishing I had drank the night before. I love that. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's those little sayings that keep us going and, you know. Um, and they're true. Yeah. And, and they stick with us because of what we've been through. Um, so now, Wendy, um, I want to hand out your phone number because okay, um, sure. what kind of work do you do? Why don't you fill I, us in on that? I'm a, um, a CAC 3, which whatever Woo! they changed it to. Yeah. Good um, on you. Certified interventionist, and okay. I've um, kind of worked in every aspect of treatment. Um, okay. After I got sober a few years, I started working on everything. Worked at Detox IOP, resident worked at Harmony and Cedar, and okay. Then started working into the business development marketing piece of treatment. Wow. And traveled, worked nationally doing that. I, God's been so good to me. I like I did 38 round trip flights last year, visiting Ooh. different treatment centers. So God, I bet you just absolutely enjoyed that. I, I, you know, I love it. I just right. love it. And uh, it's this whole COVID has been kind of a travel buzzkill. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I help people find the right treatment. And I am currently um, the director of a women's sober living in South Denver called Blossom Living. Okay. Um, Blossom Living. Our website is www.blossomrecoveryco.com. Okay. And um, I'm Wendy at BlossomRecoveryCO.com if anybody wants to email. Okay. Um, and then I do some work with Red Point North up in Fort Collins doing wow. groups. Yeah, I'm kind of a workaholic. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> I didn't save a ton of money for retirement in my, in my youth, so I'm kept playing catch up, but I yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah I kind of do a lot of things and I love it. I love having the variety. I'm not a typical nine to fiver, same place, mm. same job kind of girl. I was finding that I was doing so many things that I had to start wearing you know quote unquote hats, and I wasn't mm -hmm. liking that. So I changed myself over to a recovery personality so I could just be whoever I want to. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, and it suits you. Yeah, thank you very much. So, yeah, thank you let's, for letting let's, me talk. This you is are amazing. you are welcome. Let's hand out your phone number before we wrap up. Okay, here. it is nine seven zero two two seven five six three three. Fantastic! It's Wendy. Thank you very much for for being on it and sharing. Anytime. Um, I had I had a lot of fun uh, listening to your story. It's very entertaining. You're a very entertaining person. Um, oh. I love that. Yeah. Wendy <laughs> <laughs> uh, doesn't yeah. like compliments. No, um, yeah, so I know. I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. Thank you. You are Thank welcome. You. <laughs> we'll uh, leave it at we'll Humor it gets that. me through life. Yeah. I hear you. I bring, I utilize humor for a lot of things. Help me get out of my anxiety if I'm nervous, you know. Um, and that's one thing I actually watch for. Sometimes people will laugh when they're nervous. Mm -hmm. And there's just that little subtle difference, but you got to notice. All right. Or that's a pain. whole different topic. <laughs> right. We'll be here for another hour. Oh, great. 
Wendy, thank you so much for taking your time. Thanks, uh, Dan. We know you're really busy, so I really oh, appreciate yeah. you Monday. being on. Um, thank you, everybody, for being a part of and listening. Um, if you would like to tell your story, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to have you on. Uh, thank you, everyone, and Wendy, for taking your time today. Thank you. I, I love you all. Peace out. Bye, everyone. And have a day.